how did you get the nickname Dizzy? Mm, I used to listen to a lot of Motos uh, and Harmony. I don't know. And, and I really like the Busy Bone, so Dizzy Bone kind of rhymes with it, you know? And gave me another name to go wide. <laughs> what was your favorite, um, what was your favorite record from the Bone Thugs uh, era? The East 1999. You know, why, I, why do you think a lot of um, just, why do you think a lot of Asians resonated with Bone Thugs so much? Um, I mean, we, we can relate a lot of the, I guess, first generation Asian Americans related to them, you know, the street life and everything when they first came over here, just survival, trying to get along with everyone, trying not to get picked on, you know, that's for sure. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, like where, where are you based in, uh, yeah, where are you based and where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in San Diego and Linda Vista. Okay. So in the night, in the nineties, Linda Vista was pretty much where all the Vietnamese people were at until they kind of dispersed around San Diego. Um, my shop is still there now, but I live in Mariana. Got it. So when you talk about your shop, you're talking about your, uh, like that, uh, the shop, right? Which is, which I, I do want to dive into your tattoo career because, um, you, it's, it's a big part of who you are. And, and, and I've actually yeah. never had a, I've never got a tattoo gun. Oh. So I have a lot of questions okay. in terms of that particular art, because I'm fascinated by all different forms of art. Um, even my, my passion is performing arts because I'm a singer, but, um, tattoo is definitely a beautiful art that I want to, um, to dive into. So let's, let's talk about, um, the, your foundation, the Duan foundation for the arts. So take us through like what, what it is and what, um, uh, what it is and how did you get, how did it start? Um, let me get into how it started first. So. It was kind of, I did auto, not a whim, but it was kind of an impulsive thing where one day I woke up and I was just like, okay, I pretty much accomplished everything I needed to accomplish in the tattoo world in my life. I, I have everything I need. I don't really yearn for anything else. So I'm like, okay, what else is going to give me purpose? Like, what am, why am I here? What am I here for? What am I going to do next? So that's why I kind of took, took a deep dive and started thinking about, you know, what got me to the position I'm in now, how I got here, um, and what I would have changed, what I would have done differently if I had a different kind of help or whatnot, the experiences I had that, you know, I'm lucky to have had, for instance, going to college and experiencing that, even though I didn't stay in college, I was there and I was able to find out that it wasn't for me. And then I, but that was your point. You got there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because I didn't want to live my life wondering what if, right? So, you know, I grew up in a pretty poor neighborhood. Nothing is nothing but immigrants. Uh, we're all just trying to survive. Our parents, the only thing in their mind is just, you know, making enough money to get food on the table the next day. And, um, you know how Vietnamese parents are. They they came over here, they expect you to do everything they couldn't do. And it's all on you to kind of prove that their sacrifice was worth it in America. So I mean, there's a lot of pressure on us to evolve and uh, be successful. But um, it was definitely difficult when you're surrounded by, surrounded by all that negativity and just the system itself. You know what I mean? It's very hard to break out of that shell and be your own person and 
strive to be greater. We're kind of, um, I guess you can say our mindset was more in the locality that we, we didn't really think outside the box. We didn't think we could change anything on a larger platform other than what was at home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so I just wanted to be able to give hope to the kids that are, that were like me growing up now and, um, just give them more opportunity, you know, rather than what society wants them to be or their parents want them to be. Uh, a lot of them don't really have too many options when it comes to career choices. Either, you know, they might drop out of college or drop out of high school because they need to make money and so forth. So we cover, we um, do scholarships and it's not just for um, higher education institutions like universities or anything. It can be for technical school, vocational school, barber school, whatever it may be, because we're, we're not, not, we're not under any impression that every kid is going to go to college and then that's, that's their path. They're going to go, they're going to have a smooth path and do whatever they want to do. Sometimes life gets in the way they gotta, you know, they gotta do some type of trade school or something in order to make life right away to survive. You know what I mean? What what disciplines or arts and the creative do you um, you put a focus on over at the the foundation? Um, everything, like from performing arts to fine art to um, fashion, whatever it may be. So it's not just isolated to just like the arts, like art, art. You know what I mean? Got it. We wanted to keep it open. Um, we wanted to keep it open mind and kind of cater to every kid's wishes but we do just cover southern california for now you know because um it's definitely a big step to try to cover the nation especially as such a young foundation you know and i i myself do not have any or did not have any connections in the nonprofit sector or anything so i wasn't even going to make it or try to make it as big as it is um, when I originally started, I just wanted to branch off of my business and then just give to them on the side every year and just do my own thing. But you know, one of my good friends, uh, the vice chair of my board, he um, we had a conversation and he, he really asked me, why do that at all if you're not going to go all the way? And that's true because that's true. Part of, my nature, yeah, part of my nature is I'm pretty much all in. I do everything, you know what I mean? So it was kind of out of character for me to... Um, suppress that that, that um, ambition for myself. Um, I think it's because I was I was fairly new. I was still learning about the dynamics of everything. I was um, I guess I was just afraid of the amount of support or lack thereof that I would get. So I didn't want to step in too deep. You know what I mean? But um, I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm I'm glad you did too. So I wanted to give um share with the the viewer something so uh, i know you set the expectation to about just about 150 guests and mm-hmm. that was already uh, quite a uh, an amount but what i read on your instagram you guys actually went far beyond above that and opened it up and was able to sell out the event at 250 guests it is yeah right we're at um i think we're almost 300 300 so like two, 280 or something yeah that, that is i mean just First off, congratulations on, on that particular um, achievement. How do how do you feel 
um, you know, um, getting, getting almost 300 people to come. I, this is your first annual gala. Yes. It's, it's the first event we're holding in general, because, um, we were kind of just laying low until we hit the one year mark. We're only at maybe we started last August. So I don't know. We're at like nine, 10 months right now. So we, I didn't expect it. Uh, I wasn't really looking at everyone else purchasing tickets or anything. I mean, I was keeping track of the guests, but we had not generated the sponsor tickets. So in my mind, and I was like, okay, there's no way we'll get more than like 150 people because it's, it's on a Friday. It's on EDC weekend. Um, yeah. And it is, that's uh, right. It is EDC weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just trying to, I was trying to find a good rational number of ticket prices for everyone, you know, just to make it fair for the students and for them, you know, because we don't make anything off it is literally all that any profit goes straight into the foundation, you know? So I wasn't sure if people will get on board, but, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. And now we have people, um, really trying to get in, but we just, we can't produce more seats, you know, it's going to be, um, super tight. Give, give us a taste of what the program's like. Okay. Um, so we were going to have like a mini art gallery and everything in there, but that changed because we don't have space anymore. But, um, itinerary wise, we have a, a line dance, a Chinese line dance group. Yep. And we have, have Samahan Philippine dance, which is a Filipino dance group. Um, we will be announcing the scholarship winners. Um, and we do have a table there where the students will be with their families. Um, we picked three students and, uh, we allowed them to guess. So they'll be, be up there. They're going to give little speeches and then we're going to pre present them. And then we are going to talk about our sponsors. And after that, we will be having a Lao rapper named Heartbreaker and a Vietnamese rapper named GQ perform. And then my friend, uh, DJ Kuya Eric, he's going to close it out. That's it. Yeah. Thanks, food. And Honestly, that's actually a pretty from the from the entertainment side on the music end. Mm -hmm. um, names I'm very familiar with um, at VQ here. We we actually focus a lot on showcasing um, uh, music talent, and GQ is uh, a, a artist that I'm I've, I've had the privilege of meeting, and I'm a fan mm -hmm. of his work. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm you know I think it's going to be great to have his uh, uh, see what he brings to the stage yeah. for. For the gala as well as heartbreaker i think um heartbreaker has definitely um has done a lot of uh great work yeah. and to have the both of them i mean you know if you, people of the the rap genre uh they'll definitely be you should be familiar if you follow uh asian american um artists so yeah amazing lineup and I, now i want to put the spotlight on you for a bit because you seem to be very um uh, uh i don't i don't think you like the spotlight to be on you right um, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not one to, um, exploit anything I do or, you know, that's just me. I've always kind of laid low and did my thing. Same thing with my tattoo career. So like, but with, with this being your first gala, I mean, I think uh, most people are going to be expecting, uh, a speech from you. So yes. I guess my question to you is, um, how, how do you feel about getting on stage and, um, and, and being able to, uh, share your, your whole, you know, 
Like what 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 are you gonna what are you gonna tap into to um to do your speech uh for for that night? Yeah. So I mean I for a long time I've avoided um you know tattoo conventions interviews all that and then only when I started um the foundation I realized I had to use my own experiences to promote it and uh, I just been you know on board with everything. So since then I've started writing uh my book sorry writing my book articles everything. So I feel good. I'm I'm basically just going to talk about the main the main issue as at hand which is the lack of support for kids getting into the yeah. arts. Uh I'll tell them a little bit my about my story about the accident that happened to me that got me where I am. And basically I'm a testament to what can happen if you know the kids put their passion with their mouth is basically and the the family just accepts it you know what i mean got it will you be showcasing some of your art Ken? um no <laughs> um i want to i want it to be about everyone else you know I, I don't know maybe i just feel like everyone knows my story already so i i would say no there you can yeah there's there's a lot of people that um would love to hear your story including myself i do want to dive into that in in just a bit too because um uh, you know honestly even though i've seen your work and we've we've exchanged uh conversation just chats online but we never had a a one-on-one conversation so i wanted to save that for this um uh, for this live chat here okay so uh so thank you for doing that um uh the the one thing i wanted to point out i i, I just didn't know on the instagram live mm-hmm. now they actually out for uh a fundraising um uh option so i i put it out okay. there because i also as we're talking specifically on uh, for the event, I know most people aren't able to go because it's sold out, mm-hmm. but I, I wanted to actually give people a way if they felt inspired to, um, to, to donate to the drawn foundation and it, it, it's working. We got, actually, we were able to raise some money. We have four donations already come through, man. It also, appreciate it. yeah, so it was four donors that came in and, um, and, and gave us, gave, gave some money to the Dawn foundation. So That's thank you for that. First about, man. You know, it's um it's crazy how many people have come together for this that I didn't expect. You know what I mean? No matter how little, how big, it, it all helps out a lot. Now I want to take this time to learn a little bit more about your tattoo career and talk about your studio Black Lotus Social Club. So how did you get your start in becoming a tattoo artist? Okay, so we gotta do a deep dive. Yeah. So my, my mom left when I was pretty young, so it was just me and my dad, pretty much. Um, you know, he was a parent, struggling. Um, he worked early, came home late. I was always just walking to school, walking back, staying out at the people's houses, my aunt, my uncle's house. And then, um, you know, obviously I couldn't do the same things that other teenagers were able to do, like go to mall, watch a movie, or go out to eat, or whatever it may be. So, you know, uh, as a teenager, that was really frustrating. So uh, I kind of went crazy for a while in, in my head. I'm like, you know, in my room by myself, not being able to do anything. Um, um, I was by myself a lot. And then I just had a fair way to make money, you know. So I was I was cutting hair at first. I see. I was cutting hair. I was... Um, 
fixing loop, like car stereos. And then I had the idea of uh, becoming a tattoo artist because I used to hang out, used to hang out with a bunch of dudes. And um, one of them was a tattoo artist here in San Diego. There were only two Vietnamese artists here at the time. And I hung out with one of them. Okay. And, uh, so, you know, I used to bring in customers all the time. And one day I just asked, I was only like 15 years old. But I asked him to tattoo my back. I asked him how much it would be. Settled. So, you get your first tattoo at 15? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you a story. But okay, okay, okay. But, um, I asked him to do it for me, but it was going to be $700, which is not much. But at the time, oh, okay. a 15 year old, it's a, you know. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what do I do? I can't afford this, but I want something, you know? Um, so I saved up, I think like a hundred bucks or something. And I asked my cousin, since I didn't have any debit card, credit card, anything, I asked him to buy me a kit off of eBay. So once I got that, I just started practicing myself. Cool. Then the port out. My cousin from France was visiting at the time. So I did a bunch of tattoos on him and then they just went from there. And I wasn't charging anyone. I was just kind of trying to get better. It was more of a hobby at the time. But um, I was tattooing myself almost every single night while I was at high school. Wow. So there came a point where, you know, I was really struggling. So one of my friends, she she was just like, oh, you need you really need to start charging for this. So that's when I just went ham. And I, um, I converted my whole room into a tattoo studio. I took out my bed. I took out pretty much everything. Like you walk in and I would sleep on the massage table or sleep on the floor because I didn't have a bed anymore. And I just wanted to look as presentable as possible and professional as possible with with what I had. You know what I mean? But, um, I didn't have much. We couldn't really get the good supplies because I wasn't a professional. So I learned how to build tattoo machines. I learned how to fix power supplies. I learned how to mix inks clean stuff, disposable, whatever it may be. So, yep. So that started, um, I did that for a while. Um, I was doing pretty bad school at the time because I used to ditch and stay home and tattoo because money was more important to me at the time. And, um, how much, but how much was, uh, you, how much were you making per session or not a lot? Yeah. I was just, um, I was just tattooing. Mostly for like meals, I yeah okay yeah most for meals or like I didn't charge more than like sixty dollars or something got it um, but just just to get by you know I didn't have a car I mean I couldn't afford a car um, I didn't get my first car until I was maybe eighteen years old but um, yeah I did that for a while I kind of slowed down when I was seventeen uh, to focus on school a little bit because that's when I kind of stopped hanging out with with gangs and everything. And I started to focus on what I was trying to do. And then I graduated high school with honors, got four high scholarships in the state. Um, I was going to do plastic surgery. That was the goal. And surgery. Okay. And I was tattooing. Um, I ended up tattooing at a shop on the side. Well, it was a full-time job, but I was doing that full-time and I was going to school full-time. So after two years of college, I realized that it wasn't for me. Um, I got really bored, so I started spending more time in the tattoo shop, and then uh, my first shop when I was 20 years old, 
you've been you've been at this for quite some time from uh, self taught. Yeah, eighteen about eighteen years now. Eighteen years, okay. So, how would so be? I know your path was self taught, but like, how do you do you think other artists? How did they develop their skills? Was there is there a vocational or a tech, technical school they can go to, or is it really the similar path? Well, well, back when I started tattooing, it was very um, the industry was very tight knit, small. Um, it was very it was very hard to get in, but easy to stand out. Nowadays, it's very easy to get in, but hard to stand out. Because when I started, there were no videos on how to tattoo. There was no no one really wanted to teach you unless they really trust you and wanted to hand down that skill. It was almost like a, a classic, a classical skill that pass, is passed down from generation to generation. And unless you knew someone that knew someone, you weren't going to get taught, you know? Um, so it was before, at the time, it was right when I think the show started coming out, like Miami and all that. Oh, God. Okay. So, so I got lucky. I got in like, right before it happened so then it started blowing up and i kind of just went along for the ride you know um nowadays it's it's hard to stand out there's there's so many resources out there a kid can learn how to tattoo from youtube you know um there are schools out there but i feel like it's kind of a waste of money it's always better to learn from someone who you admire um where you admire their work um, back then those schools are very frowned upon they're be like protests and everything because the proper ways to get an apprenticeship do that for a year or two or three um some of them are paid some of them are i wouldn't say free but you kind of have to earn your earn your respect it's kind of like a full ride scholarship you know you don't get paid but you learn a craft that you have forever like what this t uh, the the tattoo industry or just being a tattoo artist means to you it's well i've always seen myself as an outlier from the industry. I don't know why. Because I don't really like to put myself in it. If, okay. if you understand what I'm saying. I don't like to be classified as... I, I I would never want to be that guy that people just come see once and then you don't hear from me again. I take your money and it's goodbye. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I like to establish a... Uh, I like to establish a relationship that lasts, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. Which is why I have... I'm so booked because these people, they trust me. Um, I remember them. I remember their names, their kids, their families, their stories. And I wouldn't have it any other way. But I think that trust is very important. So like as someone who's never had a tattoo um, in my life, and I'm I'm 41 years old, right? I, I thought about it. I thought about it as an expression. But I think the the sheer level of permanence kind of mm -hmm. me, man. Yeah. You know, like I... I like, I, I like having blank slates also, often mm -hmm. not when it comes to not just my body, but then because I change my expression when it comes to clothes or when it comes to the way my expression and, and so forth. So what I think yes. to being, it, you know, such a permanent thing. So I guess the, what, what I was asked when I was asking a question earlier is that being a tattoo artist, unlike me being a, a, a performer where, you know, uh, there's a, there's a getting an end mm -hmm. you are such a you finish when you finish a piece of work that is that's a lot of pressure in terms of do the, the, does the recipient mm -hmm. or the person on the other side how do they feel mm -hmm. and if have you ever you know a follow-up question to that is have you ever had a dissatisfied um 
client. If they were, they never told me. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Everything is pretty much second nature to me at this point. You feel no um, at all at all when you what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, because if you don't have that confidence going in, then you shouldn't be doing it. Agree. No, I, I, I agree with that answer because yeah. I wouldn't want if you, if I if I came to you as my tattoo artist, I I want you to be as confident as possible, man, because I'm the one mm -hmm. who's like second guessing this thing, you know. Yes. Um. I usually, you know, that's what the consultations with me are for. I usually um have people come in, talk about what they want, get a feel for them, but um, get a feel for their ideas. And um, I don't think they realize this, but I'm filling them out too as a person, what they like, what they don't like, what they want, their life, um, you know, whether they have kids or not. I'm pretty good at reading people, so I can... It's very rare that I'll draw something that somebody doesn't agree with the first time around. Very rare. Yep. I can wait to go maybe 10 in my whole career. Now, beyond, beyond the, the, the body tattoo, do you um, do any... Uh, like, do you take transfer your art into other visual mediums, like, um, uh, like, yeah, any other like visual art or painting? Um, I wish I could. I mean, I wish I had the time to, but the honest truth is, you know, most of the time, what I'm putting down as a tattoo is going to take me the same amount of time on like Procreate or something, right? So I get bored really, really easily. So I wouldn't be able to recreate the same thing twice and have the patience to do it. That's why I don't paint because I don't have the patience to like do a little bit, wait, do a little bit, wait. I just kind of go, I'm a very fast tattoo artist too. Cause once I'm, once I'm zoned in, I just, I knock it out. But yeah, that's, that's the downside, I guess. I wish I could, there'd be so many like art pieces out there for me to, you know, offer it to the public and everything, but yeah. What do you I think it's the biggest like um misconception of uh body art or tattoo uh, tattoos um, tattoo artists or tattoos no, the, the tattoos misconception i guess it's the most common misconception is this relation to i don't know rebellious people oh, yeah. or, or i wouldn't Let's say it's a far stretch to say anything because well, the gang of you know, that's probably a misconception oftentimes, right? It's like, uh, it is, but it's not because they do rock tattoos, you know what I mean? And, um, same thing, bikers, things like that. So it, it's just, the problem is it always takes the small percentage of people doing the wrong things to give us a label. Doesn't matter what it is, just like Asian drivers, you know what I mean? Could be only one percent of them out there that are really bad drivers, but then all of a sudden we're all bad drivers, right? So it's just one of those things, I think. I want to ask you a question about um, uh, the do you follow or are you aware of the scene in Vietnam, like in Saigon or Hanoi, the the tattoo um the the the, 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 the there? tattoo artists, yeah. Yeah, I follow follow quite a few of them. It's, it's growing a lot. Because when I went back in, uh, I was back, back there in 2009, and it wasn't, there weren't too many tattoo shops. And I did walk into one. Um, the funny thing is I saw one of my tattoos in their portfolio. Really? 
Well, because I, and I realized all the tattoos that are in their portfolio, and it wasn't really their tattoos. It was just the designs of people's tattoos that people can choose from. So I was like, what the heck? But I didn't say anything. I just walked But uh, now they, they have a lot of talent over there. It's, it's pretty crazy. And it's crazy yeah. that acceptance that is going on over there as well. I mean, I would say, I mean, up here in Orange County, there's a few um, shops and uh, a notable name is like, um, there's 20. I believe that's up there that gets a lot of um, attention. And I've just been, it, I'm taking this Hori, uh, Hori Tran. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually going to speak with him uh, next week because he also, he he transferred his 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 art into um, into a book as well. So yeah, I've done some stuff with uh, the uh, Little Saigon stuff. Yeah, I like, did. So I'm yeah. really excited to yeah. kind of deep dive. Yeah, I talked to him. Here and there, I've never met him in person, but we talk online all the time. I I do see a lot. Yeah, there's there's more. Not there's a lot more Vietnamese. I would say mm -hmm. um, that yes. uh, are coming up in the scene, and also just tattoos are a big part of what I see from uh, a lot of people get um, um getting. It's not as uh, uh, taboo. Taboo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 it, it's it it's all doing that. It, it's it's not just getting a tattoo is not just the big big pieces like mm -hmm. and i actually want to ask you about those big pieces because it's like it does mm -hmm. what's what is your thought process going into like a, a whole arm or like a whole back or you know what i mean because it, it it how do you help the even the um the person you're you're tattooing like stay calm throughout that whole mm -hmm. uh, process do you do you talk with the through with them or yeah just tell stories yeah yeah i always talk i get to know all my clients um my sessions are typically five to six hours each by everyone. I do two, two of those a day. So, um, the first session is usually the most difficult because we're trying to just put it on correctly, like the stencil. And then, you know, I, I know I can relate and I know how scary it is for a client to just give them all your trust, uh, give the, the artist all your trust and just be like, okay, this is going to be on me forever. Um, so I can talk them through it. I explain everything I'm going to do, um, so that they're, I answer all their questions before they get to ask it. So I think that's the main thing and talking them through, make sure they're okay. Every 10 minutes, um, have a relaxing environment. I'm not playing like heavy metal where, you know, they're scraping sounds or anything. Um, it's a pretty chill, chill environment. I give them a break every, every hour or so, and then. Yeah, just walk through the process. Do you see yourself in the next ten years, uh, still on this path, or do you? Um, yeah, where do you, where do you see yourself in the next like five, ten years? I'm giving myself till I'm fifty five. I don't know why that number, but that just comes to mind. I think my hands will probably give out by then, so that that's a good retirement plan. Um, because I do tattoo so much, you know, I do maybe. I'm doing six, six, seven days a week, about two to three people a day. So wow. that's about 20, 20 sessions a week. Yeah. That is, you know, congratulations on that, man. I mean, just to be able to have you know, your own shop and then having people just book you up for, uh, um, already like that, this, this, this consistently, you know, do you, do you oftentimes have, do you see a client more than, more than once? Oh, yeah. Percentage? All the time. Yeah, I have clients that have been with me since I was 15 years old. It's pretty crazy. Wow. 
Yeah. I mean, it's still weird when I wake up and I think about it. And because before tattooing wasn't really considered a career, you know, the people who did do it did it purely because they loved it, not because it came with money or anything. Um, and that's pretty much the reason why I started. I just got lucky enough to where it became a profitable career. And, you know, at the time when I dropped out of college, I felt like my career was, I mean, my uh, decision was pretty hasty. I, um, I tattooed my neck the same day I dropped out because I told myself I was never going to go back and I would have to make it work. No. And uh, unlike my family for a while, maybe like four or five years before they realized I uh, was in college. Anymore. Speaking of family, I mean, uh, do you have family yourself? Um, yeah. I have a wife, two stepdaughters, and a granddaughter, actually. What does being get me? Uh, I always relay it back to family, the responsibility to... Back to what I said in the beginning, the responsibility to make your, your family sacrifices worth it. Make it much. Your family sacrifice worth it. No. Um, I mean, my, my family came here later in the, night, uh, in the 80s, late 80s, so... Uh, I don't know why they left so late. Uh, so I was the first one born here. The so obviously, wow. Okay. They came in 89, and then I was born in Michigan, and then they came here in uh, 1991. So I was the first one born here, so I had a different set of pressures on me than my brother had. So, yeah, I'll go back to family. Um, I feel like you shouldn't lose yourself. Um, I have... I mean, I have cousins who came here from Vietnam when they were 13 years old, and now they don't speak a lick of Vietnamese, know nothing about it, don't care. Um, you know, although I was born here, I was always very into promoting the culture and keeping it alive. Um, I used to be involved with Luna, I used to do with martial arts. I tried to, um, I used to help out the Vietnamese Boy Scouts of America, and I just tried to get involved in any way I can. Not not just for the Vietnamese people, but representing the Vietnamese people in other lights. Which is why like my foundation, we don't just focus on Asian Americans. I want to help exactly everybody. Yeah. I mean that was clearly in your um in the first paragraph, which was the more um more, all marginalized uh, communities. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there's um we we don't really need to um What's the word? There's already enough, you know, turmoil, friction in the in society right now. We don't need anything else to divide us. I think it's more important than ever to, you know, offer that, that offer that hand to where it may be. And especially being Vietnamese and our people being here for, you know, 40, 50 years now, it's time for us to step up and, you know, to get back you know i have this conversation a lot because um we're inching up to 50 years we're at um year uh actually 48 right so two more years to the 50 year um anniversary of and there's and uh, of of that particular day and there's there's two there there's there's a very polarizing um viewpoint of it and respectfully i understand why but i'd like yeah. to strike these conversations about what um especially to um to to american born vietnamese and yourself and myself because like oftentimes people when we get to our age you do lose a little bit about 
you can you can easily say I'm an American now. I don't need to really back in and learn um, the the history and the, and 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 go deep dive into our culture because America is the place at um, that I, I'm at. But I, yes. I I I feel going back the amount of times that I've gone back to Vietnam, um, I fall in love with the culture and our our people a lot more and i feel like there's so much more that we didn't know um about what it means to be vietnamese right and um that's kind of why i actively like to have these these um these conversations around the identity of the vietnamese side because uh everyone has a very different uh interpretation or meaning uh meaning to it you know i my viewpoint is i do see you can express both identities um, well and uh, yeah, express both identities well and be proud of it. And that's why I've been stepping into the language um, a lot. I've been, the, and, and it's not, um, you would think that being born in, uh, uh, in, in being born Vietnamese, you would be able to pick up the language faster. But it, if you don't practice it, just like in any language, uh, yeah. it also keep up with the new words and uh, the usage of it. Um, it's, you speak like an elementary kid. <laughs> yeah, the, the way I kept my Vietnamese was pretty interesting. I mean, it was mandatory because my parents didn't speak English for the most That's part. That's man. My, my three was different. And my, my parents actually, they, they wanted to speak as much English as possible because they, um, to them, they felt that that was the way to connect, right? And they want to practice. But I was yeah. like, we were more of a, like my wife, her family chose to speak primarily Vietnamese. Her, her, her Vietnamese is exceptional. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm like I'm I'm pretty fluent, and um, you know I spoke to no Vietnamese all my life. And my brother, um, he's 12 years older than me, so he was like, you know, in high school when I was young. But you know, there would be grammar things he would ask me. Um, I was able to I don't know compartmentalize both identities, so I could be super. American or super Vietnamese, so I'd be able to help my family out in that regard. Um, but that's those are the only people I spoke to at the time. So whatever terms or phrases or conversation I had were strictly, you know, traditional Vietnamese speaking. And then when I, as I got older, I got into more trouble, started hanging out with like Vietnamese gangsters and stuff. Then I learned the slang side of it, and both of them combined kind of just made me super Vietnamese at the end of the day. <laughs> we, so, so um the the slangs here that we learn is very different from what the kids now are using so um yeah yeah we're i'm sure <laughs> um i can't stand one, it one last thing i want to say is um uh over the years i've had a greater appreciation for modern or lion dance for the non-vietnamese speakers so shout out for you um uh, participating in that um and and also showcasing that uh as probably your probably the opening number for the gay for the Galen, right? Because yeah. for traditionally, um line dance for those of you who don't know is not just loud noise and and, <laughs> and all these activities, but there's a there's there's a very symbolic reason why line dances are used to open. Um yeah. for businesses they use it to kind of scare away all the different spirits and to to clear the energy for that. And also for events. Uh it's um uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what uh, I've learned over over the years as I do more of these community events. Yeah. Why line dance line, line dancers are are used symbolically yeah. for ceremony for, for that. 
Yes. Like it, it dials down to every little thing, the color, the lines that you use, um, how you enter, how you exit, um, every, especially in Chinese culture, they're very, um, superstitious when it comes to line dancing, you have to do everything perfect or else it can ruin your luck for, you know, thousands of years. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, what is what you know? Actually, the part that maybe you can answer this question: the, the eating of the lettuce, right? What is the sitter? What's the meaning behind that? That part? um, I, it's mostly to signify surplus, surplus of food. I think you could say, yeah, like having enough to eat, spreading spreading the wealth, pretty much. And the it's it's more of the green color of the lettuce than the lettuce itself is money. You know what I mean? Okay. So yeah. then he'll and eat it and then he spits it all out, which is a bunch of Uh-huh. So we'll spit out the crowd and try to, you know, spray it to as many people as possible. And there's, you know, the the orange eating as well. Um, same thing, killing orange, like off, offering of food. Uh, sometimes they do crazy stuff like presenting ducks and all kinds of things. And depending on the zodiac year, you can't do certain things, or you should do certain things. For instance, we had a show during the year of the snake. Um, we usually have a snake routine where the the lion is like battling the snake, but we couldn't do it because it was the year of the snake. And the owner of the uh, supermarket was like, "No, we can't do that. It's going to bring you bad luck." So there's a lot of little things you got to know. And luckily, the, the leader of my group back then, he actually started the Vietnamese Boy Scouts in America in San Diego in 1983. And he used to be a Buddhist monk, so he knew all this information and taught us as we were growing up. So for those of you who um, see the lettuce, during the light dance, we see the lettuce part, don't run away when they're spitting it out because he's, <laughs> he's giving you... Yeah, yeah. i catch it. It's like you the... to catch it, man. And I, I always thought the coolest thing at the kind of close it all off was they um they they do the scroll of uh and i think it's usually like uh um what are some of the popular sayings like that in, in those scrolls it's like wish you okay. i'm not good with proverbs but usually proverbs re regarding um prosperity um luck things like that we used to actually have a person in chinatown that would do custom ones for every single business we had to perform at in like original Vietnamese calligraphy. Mm -hmm. So I really couldn't read those, but for the most part, they all have to do with positive things. Got it. And it's cool. Customary for them to hang it up in their business till the end or continuation of their business. First and foremost, congratulations on uh, a sellout for your, um, uh, for your gala. Uh, I, you seriously wish I would I would definitely love to be there for the second one when you have it um, me and my crew will come out sponsor and support um, but I felt like this was the best way I can give back to you is to let you share your story and let people um, know more about you I had a, a pleasure of really talking and getting getting to know you so thank you for uh, taking this time to uh, to have a chat with me thanks for having me man